construction. And uh, we are, we're on our way to finishing it this year. We're going to do that this year. And uh, we've expanded, you know, our scripture in Isaiah 54 says to spread out to the right and to the left. Well, we did, we did the right, my right, your left, and then we did this. So we're doing it. We're spreading out to the right and left. And there's something else I want you to keep in prayer because um, this just came up this past week. See this guy that's gunning his motor? <laughs> when we first moved here, I don't know, maybe nine, ten years ago, um, I don't know, uh, well, the people uh, from our church in Hayward, you'll know that their property goes all the way to the back, and it's huge. Anyway, we wanted to buy that piece of property when we first moved here, and they were adamant. They said, no, no, no. So every year we were knocking on the door, and every year they said, no. Guess what? They came knocking on our door this week. <laughs> they came knocking at our door. I don't know all the logistics. I don't know anything. All I know is that they came knocking on our door, and, um, and they want to sell. So this pro this, there's a house right here, but then there's a whole huge property that connects to ours. And I'm thinking, a gym. I'm thinking, uh, you know, a child's uh, whole children's center. I mean, I'm thinking, like, it's going to be awesome. Amen? So I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what this year is going to bring, but I do know that this is a year of new beginnings. For those of you who don't know, 2008, the, the number eight, signifies and stands for new beginnings. So we have claimed that in our church in Hayward. You can claim that and take it, take it all the way to the bank, as they say. And uh, I know this is going to be a year of new beginnings. So I don't know what God has for us. I just know it's good stuff. When you're serving God, it's always good stuff. Amen? Amen. I'm excited for the Lord this, this morning. So why don't you turn your Bibles with me to Psalm 86. Verse 11, and um, so glad to have Marie and Steph and, and Rosa with us and, uh, and the women from Fremont. Uh, the women from Fremont go through the same thing that the church in Hayward goes through. Sometimes because they don't have a man, and then there's sometimes they don't have a woman. So it's kind of like, if anybody understands, Hayward understands Fremont, right? Amen. So... It goes both ways. Don't worry about it. God is raising up singles for God's glory and honor. Amen? Psalm 86, verse 11. And we're going to be talking about this coming year. I don't have a title. Lenny's not here to give me a title. <laughs> he always gives me titles. Um, so I just have Women's Discipleship 2008. I don't know. But w by the end of this, some of you are real creative like that, so you'll... You'll think of something. But Psalm 86, verse 11 reads like this. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. And if there's ever a scripture that I would say should be our goal for this year, it should be this. Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Give me an undivided heart that I may fear your name. Go ahead. Turn around to uh, some of the other women, give them a high five and tell them it's good to see you today and have a seat. Some of your um, Bibles have the word integrity. I will walk in your truth. Give me a heart of integrity which is an undivided heart. An undivided heart, a person or a woman of integrity. The Hebrew word for integrity starts with thumb, which means whole and complete. It's the state of being undivided. It is the absence of hypocrisy. And when you translate this from the Hebrew word to the English word, it's translated integrity. Ted Ingstrom says that integrity is doing what you said you would do, and it means keeping your promises no matter 
what? No matter what, how many promises have we broken to our kids? Too many to number. How many promises have we broken to our friends, to our parents? But a person of integrity keeps their promises. Saying that you are a Christian tells others that you are a woman of character. When you tell your friends, you tell your neighbors, you tell your co-workers, I'm a Christian, immediately they begin to look at you differently. Immediately they look at you and they go, oh, so now you're telling me you have character. Because that's how people think. People think if you're a Christian, you have character. People can steal, they can lie, they can cheat, they can have no morals and still be a good lawyer and still be a good politician and still be a CEO of a corporation, but not a Christian. We cannot tell people the truth. We cannot tell people the truth. We need to live it out and act it every single day. So a woman with integrity is not divided. She's not living a double life. When you come to church, you don't just dress up and raise your hands and sing the songs and look real good and then go home and start cussing. Don't go home and start getting into your soap operas. Don't go home and start doing something different at work than you are here. Because integrity is important. Why is it important? Because it's the motive behind our actions, why we do what we do. Proverbs 20, verse 7 says that the righteous woman walks in her integrity. Blessed, fortunate, and happy are her children after her. When we say that a woman has character, we say that she always acts with integrity no matter what the temptation or circumstance. Proverbs 19.1 says, Better is the poor who walks in her integrity than the rich who is perverse in her speech and is a fool. Every single one of us this coming year is going to go through a lot of temptation. A lot. We've, we're only, what, 10 days, 11 days into it, and we've already been hit. Some just got tempted this morning. That's why they're not here. Got tempted by the alarm clock or the TV, or whatever it is. What are temptations? Temptations are testings that come with a specific purpose. Testings. A temptation is something that is enticing, something that is alluring to the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, or the pride of life. Why are we tempted to do certain things that other people are not? Some of you are tempted to do things that don't even tempt me at all. But then there are things that tempt me that you look at me and you go, she's tempted by that? We're tempted differently. And you know why we're tempted differently? Because we're tempted by what, what is on the inside. We have different issues on the inside. James 1.12 says this, blessed is the woman that endures temptation, for when she has been proven, she will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. <clears throat> Let no one say when she is tempted, I have been tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when she is drawn by her own desires and enticed. Then when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Some of you are, are tempted to steal. Some are tempted to lie. Some are tempted to cheat. Some are tempted to have an extramarital affair. Some are tempted to fantasize. Some are tempted to pornography. Some of us are tempted to things that are not on that list. But we're only drawn away through temptation of what we have on the inside. Paul tells the Christians at Corinth to examine themselves. Each of us need to know the areas that we're vulnerable in. Every single one of us has a vulnerable area. We're all vulnerable. We all look pretty today. 
but we're all vulnerable. And as women, when we're out of touch with who we are, when we're out of touch with our emotions, that's when we're most likely to fall for temptation. When we don't know who we are and we don't know who we belong to. When a woman feels unloved, and this is so important, women, when we feel unloved, when we feel that we're unlovable, that's when we try to find a substitute for God in our life. When we feel nobody loves me, I'm all alone. We go and we look for something to fill that hole in our heart. And as women, this is where temptations make us very vulnerable because we all need to feel love. We all need to feel that somebody approves of us. When Jesus saw the Samaritan woman, we all know the story, I don't think he saw the fact that she was a social outcast. I don't think he saw her as a woman who had all these men in her life who have had five husbands and the one that she was living with wasn't her husband. So how many men she was living with and not married to, we don't know. We didn't know she had a lot of men in her life. But I don't think he looked at her as a woman who was promiscuous. I don't think he looked at her as a woman who had all of these men coming in and out of her life. I think what he did is he saw a woman who spent years trying to fill her life with men when he really, she really, really needed to fill her life with him. She was always hoping that this man would fill that need. Well, maybe it's this man that's going to fill that need. Well, no, maybe it's this one. And so she's trying all these different men, just like some of us have tried a lot of different men, saying, well, maybe it's this one, or maybe it's this one, or maybe it's this one. And you come to find out that none of them meet the need. Not one of them meet the need. Because they can't. They can't meet a need that only God can fill. You're trying to fit a square peg in a circle hole. It doesn't fit. She was trying to make herself feel good about who she was by trying all these different men. Who knows how many men she would have been with had not Jesus crossed her path. Had not Jesus confronted her at that well, how many men would she have continued to go? Jesus saw her multiple sexual sins as a sign of a deeper need that could only be met by knowing him as her redeemer. That's the only way it could be met. And there's a lot of different temptations that we're going to be going through this year. And that's just a few of them. But I'm going to get down to some real basic ones. First of all, I want to talk to you about your temptation in your community or in your social life. See, women, we display pride differently than men, way differently than men. But the sin of pride is just as deadly for women as it is for men. It is the root of all other sins because pride keeps us from God. Sometimes we tell little white lies. I love spending time with my kids. When you were praying, hurry up, school, open up. Don't give them another day off. I can't handle my kids. You, were, you could hardly wait till Christmas vacation was over. You could hardly wait. You, were, you remember those commercials years ago when September was coming around and the parents were so excited and you couldn't figure out what were they so excited about because they were getting ready for their kids to go back to school. They were out. Little white lies. They would say, oh, I tried to call you a couple of times. And we only tried once. We find an exaggeration or an untruth at the tip of our tongue. At the tip of our tongue. We'll say, oh yeah, I came half an hour ago. You just got there five minutes ago. We'll say little white lies because of our pride. We want to make ourselves look better than what we really are. James 4, 6 says that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. He can only give grace to those who aren't trying to prove how wonderful they really are. So to deal with pride, we need to look 
very carefully at what we depend on. How many of us depend so much on our first impression when we meet people? We're constantly thinking, I wonder what they think of me. I wonder if they like me. I wonder how, if they're, if they're going to call me again. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder. That's pride. Sometimes, as women, we think if our kids excel, then we excel. If our kids do good, then we look good. But if our kids aren't doing good, then we look bad. <clears throat> if our kids are doctors and lawyers and, and pediatricians and they've got all of this up there, then hey, we're that great. But if our kids are garbage collectors or they're just secretaries, then they're not that good. When I was raising up my children, <clears throat> I always told them, I don't care what job you have. I really don't. I don't care if you go into full-time ministry or not. I don't care if you're garbage collectors. I don't care if you, if you work in a, in a receptionist. I don't care if you work at the basis of all bases jobs. That is not important to me. What is important to me is that your heart is right with God and that you serve him. Because you can be the greatest garbage collector and serve God. So what your children's job is, is no reflection on you. How they live their life is a reflection. Some of us be don't believe that we're valuable unless we've gotten certain accomplishments. Sometimes we want fame and wealth and power outside of God because more people will know all about us. Galatians 6.4 says that let every person examine carefully and test their own conduct and their own work. There's a lot of different behaviors that cause us to fall into temptation. There's the woman who places herself above criticism so that she won't take any counsel from others. She doesn't listen to correction. She doesn't listen to correction from her husband, nor her pastors, nor her leaders, nor her close friends. Anybody, she does not listen because she already knows. I've talked to certain women, and I would tell them, you know, I don't know if that's really the right path you should go to right now. You know what? God spoke to me. And the people in my church know all they have to tell me is God spoke to me, I back up. I will back up because who am I next to God? I'm just a little itty-bitty peon, not even a speck of dust. And if God spoke to you about following that path, I'll back up. And I'll say, go for it. You do what God told you to do. Because when God speaks, we should listen. But if God tells you something that is totally contrary to the word of God, then I would question whose God you're listening to. Is it the God of the world? It is the God of the flesh? Or is it God of the word of God? It's a big difference. We've all heard people excuse their bad attitude with, well, that's just the way I am. Never heard somebody say, that's just the way I am. Man, during that time of month, you are difficult to live with. Hey, that's just the way I am. And we make so many excuses for our hormonal roller coaster. And it's so sad. Because one of the fruits of the Spirit is self-control. We just choose not to exercise that fruit. For two weeks out of the month, we throw that fruit off the tree. That fruit does not belong there. Neither does kindness. Neither does, you know, joy. Neither any of those fruit, love, joy, peace, long-suffering. Now, who wants long-suffering during those two weeks? Goodness, kindness, pain. We don't want any of that. Just throw all the fruit off the tree because we got two whole weeks of a roller coaster. And the big one that stands out to us women is self-control. Is it hard? You bet it's hard. It's difficult to keep the mouth shut. Difficult to keep those eyes from <laughs> staring you down. It is difficult to control the attitude with the body. When you don't want to be around somebody, 
you know, you just kind of let them know. <laughs> You're standing like this, oh. God bless you, sister. It's, a, it's difficult because we just want to eliminate the fruit that we don't want. That's pride. There is no such thing as that's just the way I am. Those words come out of your mouth and you're going to have to read your word because that's not who you are. Who you are is someone in Christ. Who you are without God is how you're acting. We we'll refuse to hear when people talk to us about the state of our soul or our moral condition or our attitude. It's because we got this big old wall called pride. And then we don't want to change. We just don't want to change. We don't want anybody to tell us no. We resist change. There's an old saying that says the only people who like changes are babies. <laughs> they like to be changed. But as we grow up, we don't like change very much. Sometimes we're unwilling to give up our attitudes that make us unhappy because it's going to require us to change. Some of us really need to change this year. Otherwise, we're going to duplicate last year all over again. I would challenge you today to choose your friends wisely. Have friends that can be honest and blunt with you. I mean blunt, where you say, you know what? You need a little attitude adjustment here. Because, you know, I think you've been a little bit too much. Someone who can really be honest with you. Now, if you're married, your spouse is absolutely honest with you. But sometimes when they're honest, you don't stop talking to them. <laughs> because they tell you the truth. They tell you, you know what? You shouldn't have done that. You shouldn't have said that. And all of a sudden, you're like, okay. Won't talk to you for a day or two or a week. We should really want a friend who is both honest and sincere. Someone who will watch out for us. Someone who can hold us accountable. Accountability is having friends who keep us honest and open and someone that we can share our hopes and dreams and thoughts with. Sometimes we avoid people. We don't want to have friends because we don't want to be vulnerable. We just want to keep to ourselves. That's how the enemy picks us off. He picks us off when we're all by ourselves. He picks, it's, it's just like, you know, we don't use them anymore, but um, hardly ever. But you know, when, when you have, uh, when you're doing charcoal, and you're, you're, you're uh, barbecuing, and you have a whole bunch of bricks together, they all heat up together. And they're all on fire together. But if you were to move one of those bricks all by itself, it may start off on fire, but the fire will dim and it will go out. Why? Because it's all by itself. But you move it back with the crowd and it goes on again. That's why we need each other. Women are hard to work with. Oh my gosh. Man, we got issues. We got looks. We got attitude. We got it all. You put a whole group of men together, hey, they're okay. They know how to push things aside and say, you know what, I got this issue against you, but you know what, we're here, let it go. Women just don't know how to let things go. Man, we hold on to it like if it's life. Life. She talked about me 10 years ago. <laughs> 10 years ago, she said something about me. Five years ago, she said she didn't like my haircut. <laughs> Your hair has been done and grown and cut and done and grown and cut, and you're still holding on to that comment that was made. We, we hold on to the dumbest things. And you, you got to understand that if we were walking in Christ, some of the things that we get affected with wouldn't even bother us. But that's because we're not walking in Christ all the time. So we get affected. Be a people person. Build relationships. 
Overcome your personal complexes. Overcome your shyness. Overcome your fears. Learn how to be vulnerable. This year, let 2008 be a new beginning for you. A new beginning. Don't isolate yourself and be that cold that goes out. Don't let the temptation of pride keep you from growing in your community. Secondly, we have a temptation in our finances. Greed is literally at the heart of our society. Luke 12, 15 says this, and he said to them, guard yourselves and keep free from all covetousness, the immoderate desire for wealth, the greedy longing to have more. For a woman's life does not consist and is not derived from possessing overflowing abundance or that which is over and above her needs. That's from the Amplified. I mean, can't tell it any better than that. It doesn't consist of having overflowing abundance. We're tempted to fill our lives with things because we're surrounded by the world's message all the time. You gotta have this, you gotta have that, you gotta buy this. You, I mean, you need this, you can't survive without this. The next new thing we get, whatever it is, it never satisfies. We're always vulnerable to the next temptation. See, the enemy doesn't remind us of the last purchase we had. He never reminds us, oh, didn't you buy this last time? Like, no, you need this now. Satan's message is very subtle. It's always luring us to indulge. Greed is not a problem just because of our twisted values, but it's also a waste of time. Because our time and our money goes for things. And whenever it goes for things, people become less and less important because we're spending more time buying things on sale. That's how we justify on sale. It makes us feel good if we buy it on sale. But we're still spending. The spirit of the world infects our thinking. Paul said in Colossians 3.5 that greed is idolatry because it places something in the center of our lives that doesn't belong there. See, it happens when women go shopping. It happens. A woman who feels rejected, maybe she got into an argument with her husband. Maybe somebody told her something at her job. Maybe she's just going through her blues. Maybe she's going through feelings of rejection. Whatever it is. What do we do? Go shopping. Let's go buy those shoes that we've wanted. Let's go buy that dress. Let's go buy. When I remember one of the first times I had just been married probably about, mm, I don't know, six months. And um, my husband got me so mad, furiously mad. You know, so long ago, 30 some years ago, I have no idea. All I do remember is what I did with my anger. I was upset and got in my car, and I went shopping. And when I went shopping, I didn't just shop for a dress. I didn't just shop for a pair of shoes. I redecorated my whole bedroom. <laughs> I mean, we're talking major redecoration here. Drapes, uh, uh, bedspreads, shams, pillows, rugs, uh, furniture. I mean, I, I redecorated, okay? <laughs> I don't know how to redecorate one thing. I, got, I redecorate, everything has to match. And then my husband was like, because the car came back packed. And he was like, what did you do? And I go, you made me mad. <laughs> he was like, oh. But I remember I was convicted because I knew that I couldn't do that. Because who had to pay the price? I did. I had to pay the price to pay the bill. But what happens is that when we go shopping, the enemy gives us the illusion of control. That's why we go shopping. We go shopping because, you know what, I got control. I'm, I'm mad and I got control. And what this should do when we feel like going shopping, it should yell at us that God is not central in our life. He's not enough. 
When we try to use things to fill that crack, that huge crack, that huge hole in our life, we have to stop and ask ourselves, what does this mean about our trust in God? Sometimes we want to control our lives and we feel that the only way we can do this is by owning things. But things only give us the illusion of control because we really don't own anything. When we surround ourselves with stuff, then we begin to believe that we control our lives. The opposite of greed is contentment and generosity. And to build contentment, we have to look at the greed in our lives and ask ourselves, what is it saying about me? Ask yourself this morning, am I being honest about greed in my life? Or do I justify everything that I buy as a need, whether it really is or not? Ask yourself, do I spend more money on non-necessities than I should? Ask yourself, have I believed some of the lies about women needing to be shopping in order to be happy? Ask yourself, have I believed that I am not worthwhile unless I have great clothes or own and decorate my house beautifully? Ask yourself, am I trying to surround myself with things to try to get a security that is not possible outside of God? See, for some of us to be content, we need to not be led into temptation by our choices. For some women, and this is, this is, I want you to listen to this. For some women, going through the shopping channels on your TV, going through the catalogs, or going to the mall is like flipping through a Playboy magazine for men. It's the exact same thing. It's still lust for more. For more. And you would think, well, there's nothing wrong with me going through the catalogs. Nothing wrong with me flipping through QVC and home shopping and jewelry channels and who knows everything that's on there. Oh, my gosh. There's like, because the society appeals to that need in our life. But it's, it's the same lust that would have a man look at a Playboy magazine. Same lust. Can't be filled. Need more. Need more. Need more. You cannot be led into temptation if you don't shop. Because if you don't shop, you don't buy. Right? I was telling my daughter the other day, I, I moved uh, recently, well, I, I do everything progressively. I actually moved two weeks ago, but I've still been moving. And um, I was going through all my boxes and boxes and boxes. And, uh, and boy, do I got a lot of clothes. Oh, my gosh. I have so many clothes that I told my daughter, I'm going on a fast. I'm not going to buy anything. for. I, I told her, for three months, I'm not going to buy one piece of clothing. Not one. And she looked at me and she goes, we'll see. I go, I'm, I'm serious. And I think that there's some of you in here who need to go on this fast with me. You know who you are. Try three months. Nothing. I mean, I'm not talking about, like, absolute necessities, okay? You know. You got some absolute necessities that you cannot live without as a woman. This is being taped. Uh, <laughs> but other than the absolute necessities, nothing. Okay? And, uh, and let's see how, how we do. I know I'm shooting for three months. I'm going to shoot for three months, and then I'll see it. How are you doing three months? I'm going to just take it. I'm not going to say the whole year because that's just too much temptation. So I'm not going to put myself. <laughs> I'm not going to put myself under that much, but I'm going to do it three months at a time. So somebody want to join me? You're more than welcome to. So we can pray for each other. Because to aim for contentment, we need to look at all that we have and avoid exposing ourselves 
to places and things that tell us we need more. We need more. You got to have this. You got to have that. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants us to be deeply and eternally dissatisfied. Always wanting more. Part of contentment is perspective. We can choose who we compare ourselves to. The problem with women is that we're always comparing ourselves with someone. When we're married and a woman walks by, do I look like that? Or we ask somebody else, do I look like that? We always want to know what we look like. We're always comparing ourselves with someone else. When we surround ourselves with those who have more than us, then we begin to feel deprived. I don't have this, and I don't have that, and I don't have this either. But when we think of our friends who are struggling to buy clothes for their kids, when we think about those who are in the Philippines who really don't have anything, when we're, we hear of people who are struggling to pay their rent, or they don't even have a car, then we get a little bit clearer perspective on what we've got. We've got a lot. The other way to grow in our contentment is by giving. Generosity is the opposite of greed. If we find that we're too attached to a possession, if you find that you're too attached to any possession, give it away. Give it away. You can't hold on to anything. I mean, absolutely nothing. Giving shatters the security that we have in things. When we begin to give things away, then we begin to develop a generous spirit. Generosity will flow and greed will go away. Because when generosity comes in, greed has to go out. They cannot live together. You cannot be greedy and generous at the same time. So the more generous you are, the more greed will go out. Jesus recognized that we would be tempted to use money and possessions to find temporary satisfaction, to find control, to find a sense of self-worth. That's why he told people, invest. Wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Wherever your treasure is. That's why you hear teachings and preachings on tithing and giving to United We Can, giving to the building, giving in your offerings. Because the more generosity comes into your life, the more greed will get out of your life. We have a ghetto mentality. We all have a ghetto mentality. And the ghetto mentality is get what I can get and keep it. Because I'm not going to be able to get that much more. You know that... One of the richest women that you all know of is Oprah Winfrey. I don't, uh, I don't watch her. I don't follow her. I'm not, she's not, you know, like some women. They, they watch her favor, you know, all the time. They, they, uh, they follow her life. That's not me. But one thing I will tell you about her is that she is as rich as she is because she gives. Giving is not a Christian principle. Giving is a biblical principle, whether you're saved or not. She follows that biblical principle. Give, and it will come back to you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. That is not a Christian principle. It's, I mean, in that if you're only a Christian, it'll happen. You can be an unchristian, non-Christian, and give, and it will come back to you because it's a biblical principle. We need to get out of that ghetto mentality. Some women are on welfare. Some women are on SSI. You know what? If you need it, take it. Don't live off of it for the rest of your life. Take it when you need it and then get off of it because God has given you uh, dignity. God has given you the ability to do a lot of things and you don't need to live off of welfare and SSI. But take it when you need it. But if you don't need it, don't abuse of it. Because these programs are meant to be a temporary source 
not a way of life. And we, you know, I grew up in that kind of an era where everybody was on welfare. Everybody. And now they're a lot more stringent, but I, I am totally supportive of those who really need it. Moms who have a lot of children, they need to stay home and take care of those kids. They don't need to go out there and, and leave those kids at a daycare with who knows who. And So when you need it, use it. But when you need to get off of it, get off of it. Because we need to learn the principles of giving. And then don't limit your giving. If you desire ministry, some of you in here, you want ministry. Then giving is mandatory. It's not if you want to. It's mandatory. You need to learn how to give. If you want God to move in your life, you're going to learn how to give. You can't walk around with the misconception that the church is supposed to take care of you. Remember Galatians 6, 7, for whatever a man or woman sows, that they're going to reap. So, the temptation in your finances. Then we have your temptation in your spiritual walk. There's a word called sloth. Ever heard of that word, sloth? Originally, when it was first used, it meant spiritual lethargy, which means that someone who was lazy about their spiritual growth. Hebrews 6.12 says, In order that you may not grow disinterested and become spiritual sluggards, but imitators behaving as do those who through faith, by their leaning of the entire personality on God and Christ, in absolute trust and confidence in his power, wisdom, and goodness, and by practice of patient endurance and waiting are now inheriting his promises. All of that says that you may not become spiritual sluggards or sloth. Don't grow lazy. Don't grow lazy on your spiritual growth. When we don't bother to spend time with God, or we don't care about our relationship with God, or when we allow other activities to take priority over our relationship with God, that's when we're tempted by sloth. Sometimes we figure working in the church, getting involved in ministry, that takes care of our spiritual life. It doesn't at all. If you think that working in the church is going to take care of your walk, you are sadly mistaken you got to take care of your spiritual walk wherever you work, whether you work in the church, whether you work in ministry, or whether you have a regular job, or whether you stay at home job. you got to work on your spiritual life. We cannot replace our relationship with God with being busy for God. And that's where we confuse things, that we're busy for God. But if we're not having relationship with God, then it doesn't matter what we're doing for God. To be tempted by sloth is to be tempted to forget that our time and our talents are gifts from God and they are to be used for him. We begin to think that our time is ours to kill or to use however we want. And every so often, whenever I get women together, I have to remind them that sometimes you need to turn off that TV. That TV, it just pulls you. It just pulls you. You know that... I would much rather listen to the news and, or, or listen to music because if I start flipping through the channels, I, I get uh, pulled in to watch this or watch that. All I want to know is what's happening on the news. All I want to know is what's the weather. All I want to know is basic stuff. But when you start flipping through all the channels, and nobody ever has just five or six channels. I grew up with three channels. No, actually four channels. Four channels. That's a long time ago. Uh, but now what do we have? 400 channels? And some of us like to flip through every single one of them. And we stand there and we're wasting time going through every single channel. If you're watching soap operas, you're wasting time. Wasting time. I have to remind some of you who haven't heard my story. I was a soap opera addict. Addict. Not, not, I wasn't like, ah, once or twice. I'm talking an addict. When my son was born, that's what I became an addict. And uh, 
because I was bored. I was so bored. I had worked all my life to, from, since I was 14. I had my son when I was 24. And I had always worked through school, put myself through school and work. When I had my son, my husband says, okay, now I want you to stay home. And I go, stay home? What am I going to do? Esteban was such a good baby. Feed him, change him, he was fine. And he was just a perfect baby, so I'm bored. So what do I do? Turn on the TV. So my day started at 11.30. Ryan's Hope. 12 o'clock, General Hospital. 1 o'clock, One Life to Live. 2 o'clock, no, that's General Hospital. One Life to Live. All my children, forgot, 12 to 1, all my children. Okay. So I went from Ryan's Hope to All My Children to One Life to Live to General Hospital, and then every so often, every so often, I'd watch The Edge of Night. But, you know, that just depends on, on how bored I was or what I had to do. But when I would say I was an addict, I would literally close my front door and take the phone off the hook. Don't bother me for three and a half, maybe four, but for sure three and a half hours. Taking care of my son was easy. Give him a bottle, he was change him, he's fine. I could do that on commercials. We didn't have, you know, DVRs back then. <laughs> you know, you begin to know the commercials on how uh, at 10 after, at 20 after, you know, which ones are longer. Some of you already know what I'm talking about. And, and I remember that, uh, that I, I watched uh, and, and I, if I had to go out to the store, it had to be where there was a TV. Don't think that I didn't park myself at stores in front of a TV with my son to watch. I wasn't going to miss my program. I don't care where I was. I watched my program. This is before tape recorders, okay? You missed it, you missed it. So I wasn't going to miss my program. That was an addiction. And I remember one time when I was uh, watching General Hospital, and uh, we had just moved up here. We were now pastoring. My son was two. So this had been two years of faithful, 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 <laughs> watching my programs. And, and I, we were up here, and, uh, and I, you know, somebody was over the house, one of the uh, new converts that uh, we had just won to the Lord, fresh, about a month or two. And they came over, and it was like, oh, my gosh, what time is it? i got to turn my programs on. And so I turned my program on, and I remember that he looked at the program, and then he looked at me, and he says, you watch that? And I was like, yeah. And he goes, well, what about all the stuff that's on there? Because you got to remember, he's a brand-new Christian. And he goes, well, what about all that stuff that's on there? I go, what stuff? He goes, you know, the adultery and the sleeping around. And, and I was like, well, I just don't pay attention to that. And he was like, oh. And then he turned and he walked into the kitchen. And, you know, and, but when he left, it was just like right at that time, you know, one of the scenarios came up where this woman's married to this husband who's really horrible and this uh, husband is married to this woman who is horrible, and then these two work together, so you're like, yeah, let them two get together, let them divorce them, let, you know, just mess up the whole families, because these two belong together. And I was re remembering that I began to think like that. Yeah, that, I, those two need to get together, and forget those two. They don't want to change anyway. Forget them. <laughs> and that's when the Holy Spirit spoke to me. So Clearly, I mean, it was almost like, almost not audible, but in my spirit. He says, do you condone that kind of behavior? Sneaking around, being married, having a, an affair here, an affair over there? And I was like, of course not. He says, then why are you watching it? Because whatever you take in becomes a part of who you are. And I got jolted in my seat, and I just made a commitment right there, 
no more soaps. Turned off the TV, my son was two. He's 28 now, he'll be 29. So that was all those years ago. And I never forgot that conviction that developed in my heart because I was open to change. I was open to let God do what he wanted to do in my life. My spiritual values needed to be up here, not to be brought low by adultery and fornication and sleeping around. I needed to be able to feed my spirit what was going to build my spirit. So that's why you need to pay attention to your spiritual life. We cannot fill our time being lazy. If you watch more than an hour of TV a day, you're watching way too much TV. TV is a time for entertainment. It's not a time to occupy all your time. We get involved in stuff that we shouldn't get involved in. There's a, a, a quote from this man, P.T. Forsythe, and what he says has always, always impacted my life. He says, the greatest sin, the greatest sin is prayerlessness. And I think all of us have been very guilty of this sin. We want to pray. We think, I need to pray. I got to separate time to pray. But we don't do it. We fill our life with things other than prayer. And we're busy, 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 busy. So we push out that time alone with God. In that story of Mary and Martha, you know, this whole Mary mentality that Mary had and she was doing things and getting dinner ready for Jesus and doing, I wonder, I really wonder, I put myself in Martha's place. How did she feel when Jesus told her, Martha, Martha, you're worried about things that aren't important. How would you feel if Jesus came to you and said, Sally, Sally, the things that you're worried about are not important. But I got to do this and I got to do that. They're not important. They're just not important. How would you feel? But I got I to gotta do this. They're not important. What if he challenged us to stop our busy schedule and just listen to him? Just listen. Don't do anything. Just listen. Some of us have a difficulty just staying still. When was the last time you just stood still? Went into your room for your quiet time. Maybe, maybe you got to go to the bathroom for your quiet time. Maybe you got to take a bath. Maybe you got to, you know, find a place in your closet. I don't know where you go, but when was the last time you just sat there and just talked to God? No music, no Bible, no nothing. Just talked to God. I think it must have taken Martha months to accept that all of her activity, all her good activity, was not really important. We need to stop being victims of what we have to do, the urgent, and stop look, start looking at how we're really spending our lives. Because there's always going to be a temptation to run from the calling where God has placed us and to get busy. We are here to enjoy our Christian walk. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. Don't be lazy. And the last one is a temptation of our morals. Adultery in the Greek is pronounced mochos. And it talks about illicit sexual relations between married persons or any other person that is not their marriage partner. Fornication in the Greek is called pronia, where we get the word pornography. And this is a much bigger term, but it fornication includes premarital sex, as well as extramarital sexual relationships. So fornication actually covers immorality of every kind. There's two major distortions that lead women into temptation. Distortions about intimacy and distortions about sex. There are women who feel that life would be fulfilled 
when she catches a man. She thinks if she doesn't have a boyfriend, life is not worth living. You think that a white knight on a white horse is going to satisfy all your need. When you begin to believe that a man could fill your life, you are in for a huge letdown. It was God's idea that it is not good that a human should live alone. But what we do is we romanticize that whole thing. We put all this romance into it and say, the Bible says that I am not to live alone. When women believe that finding a man will be the answer to all their dreams and all their desires, you're swallowing a line that the world has told you. The world. The white knight syndrome, listen to me, the white knight syndrome doesn't just affect singles. There's a lot of married women who watch movies, who read books, and you fantasize. You look at some of the men in the church and you see how they treat their wives and you fantasize. And you begin to think, oh, I wish my husband was like that. I wish my husband treated me like that. I wish my husband talked to me like that. I wish my husband opened the door for me like that. I wish, I wish, I wish. You're in the white night, just like single women. 40% of all popular paperbacks are all romance novels. 40%. You have no business reading romance novels. It's a waste of time. All it does is make you fantasize. All it does is make you think about someone or someone else. Singleness does not mean being lonely. Singleness means you're alone. There's a difference between being alone and being lonely. You can choose to be lonely or you can choose to be alone. Your choice. I am alone. I don't have time to be lonely. I just, I don't. But I'm not going to tell you it doesn't hit. It hits. Lonely times during Christmas. Lonely times during special days. It hits. But I know how to fill that void in my life. And I know who can fill the void in my life. I don't dwell on it. I don't make it an issue. I don't uh, segregate myself, isolate myself, feel sorry for myself, cry to, uh, my, myself to sleep. I don't have time for that. I'm alone. Being alone is a whole person. If I'm not a whole person, I'm going to be looking for someone to make me a whole person. I am not a half a person. I am a whole person in Christ. And those of you, those of you who are single, you're going to have to learn how to be a whole person in Christ. Because if you are not a whole person in Christ, you're going to be looking, as a half a person, you're going to be looking for somebody to make you whole. But I'm going to let you know something really important. If you are a half a person, a half a person can only be attracted to a half a person. So a half and a half in God's addition equals half. A half a person plus a half a person is a half a person. A whole person who matches up to a whole person equals a whole person. Maya Angelou, who was a prophet, a prophet, a poet, not a prophet, poet, she wrote this, and I really, I love this, and I'm trying to remember it by memory, said a man should have to look so deep into Christ to find the woman that he has to go through. He has to be able to, to find her, but he has to find Christ first in order to find her. That he will not be able to find her in front of Christ, but he has to find Christ in front of her. And when that, amen, when that happens, you'll find wholeness in your relationship. If a single woman feels bad about her singleness, 
she's more likely to get involved in an unhealthy relationship. She's more likely to be drawn to someone who does not walk in the same way she walks. And that's going to be a great temptation for singles and married women. Because the temptation is for us to settle for the world's lie, to expect someone to come right alongside us to make us happy, right alongside us so that they can make us fulfilled. Satan will try to encourage women to settle for less than the best. And we need to know ourselves. You need to know your vulnerabilities. You need to know your temptations. You need to be able to identify the power of the world's influence on your life. And you need to be able to seek God's plan for it. When we allow the world's temptation into our life, it's what we're watching movies we shouldn't be watching. And I know men are always being told this. They're always being told, no, close your eyes. No, don't look at that. But you know what? The enemy is hitting women just the same way. There are movies now with women with women. That's sick. What's sicker is that women are watching that. And you're not walking away. You're not walking out. You see intimate relations on a movie, and you sit there, and you watch it. You're reading books that you shouldn't be reading. Anything that promotes unhealthy sexual activity, anything that promotes anything outside of what you're capable or ready or able to do is not right. The greatest challenge that we have as women to develop a godly character is to go through the temptations that God allows into our lives. These testings, these temptations, these assignments are being allowed to test us, to grow our character. There are things in your life that you have gone through. And let's say you've gone through lying. And God has given you victory over your lying. And you say, okay, I've got victory over this. And then the temptation comes to lie again. He said, I thought I had victory over this. You do, but now you're going into a deeper level. Because the temptation to lie is getting that much harder and harder and harder. Throughout our walk with the Lord, there's going to be people and there's going to be problems that are going to come our way to help us build integrity. But when we pass these integrity checks in our life, when God is able to use us, it's because we've passed them over and over and over. Some of you, you want to influence women. Some of you, you want to be able to have a, a, an opportunity to minister to women. Well, you've got to pass these integrity checks. You've got to pass these temptations. You've got to pass these testings. Because if you don't pass them, then how are you going to be able to influence women? How are you going to be able to show them that God can give you victory when you keep going through the same thing over and over and over and over? God cannot use someone who lacks integrity. You got to be whole, whole, undivided. Integrity is the foundation for women who desire to be used by God. You don't work just one day at integrity, you work every single day. And those who pass integrity checks are going to grow in their ability to influence women. Failure to pass integrity checks mean that you have to have repeated lessons. Repeated lessons. And it takes us longer to get where God desires us to be. Stand with me today. I want to close with this scripture. The scripture in James 1, 22 to 25. And I'm going to read this to you in a different version. And I want you to listen to this because this comes right down our alley as women. This is don't hear the word and lie to yourself that it does not apply to you. It does. Anyone who hears the word and doesn't make changes is like a woman who sees herself in the mirror and notices that she needs to comb her hair but forgets to do it. But the woman who intently studies the word that frees the soul 
is changed by it and is blessed. This coming year, as women, we're going to be hit with a lot of different things, a lot of different temptations. But if we're aware of who we are, we know our vulnerabilities, we know our weaknesses, then we're going to have an opportunity to be victorious in our social, in our financial, in our spiritual, and in our moral life. This year is a life of new beginnings. You might have made mistakes in these areas last year. You got a fresh start. But you got to know yourself. You got to know who you are. And as AJ begins to sing, I'm going to open up the altars for any one of you who say, you know what, this is an area that I need help in this year. It may be in your community. It may be with other women. Maybe you need to get more relationships. Maybe you need to be accountable. Maybe you need to learn how to get through and get over. Maybe for some of you, it's your finances. Maybe it's your spiritual walk. Or maybe it's your moral walk. Whatever area it is, I'm just going to open up the altar for you to come this morning. Oh.